Well, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who are new or don't know who I am, my name is Steve, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors here on the ministry team, and it's wonderful to uh, be able to come up in front of you this morning and share God's Word with you. Um, this past week, I came across some interesting examples of young children who had high aspirations for their lives when they grow up. Um, one list from a school had the following answers completing this statement. When I grow up, I want to be a... First, there's Toby, who's obviously an aspiring James Harriet because he says he wants to be a veterinarian uh, so that he can help pets get better. Sophia, a baseball player, because baseball is fun. Obviously, we know where this school is. It's in America, I guess. Um, Violet, a chef, because I like to cook. Isabella, a ballerina, because I love to dance. I think we need to worry about David, a fireman, since I like fire and explosions. <laughs> Anthony, a jet flyer, they're cool, double exclamation point. And finally, little Albert. Little Albert must have made his family proud with this one. A person who stays at home and does nothing. Albert obviously learned some of the wrong lessons of lockdown, um, but on the bright side would have a very streamlined to-do list and set of priorities. All joking aside, priorities are powerful, and uh, more seriously, we've been looking at Mark's gospel in our present series entitled The World Turned Upside Down, and the portion of Mark's gospel we will be looking at this morning follows the events we looked at last Sunday with the announcement of the news of the greatest consequence, that the kingdom of God had come near with the arrival of its king, Jesus. A new day has dawned, if you will, over the darkness of human existence, and with it this compelling call to reorient one's lives in response, to repent and believe the good news. And with that announcement, we saw accounts of authoritative demonstrations of this emerging regime come to pass in the driving out of impure or evil spirits, as well as through the healing of those who had suffered with sickness and disease. And people flocked to Jesus to the extent that the whole town where these events took place, Capernaum, is said to have gathered to him. And as that exceptional day drew to a close, and by all appearances would seem to indicate that things are going extraordinarily well, with people clamoring to get to Jesus late into the evening. For the fishermen who had left their nets and livelihood to follow Jesus, Simon and his brother Andrew, as well as James and his brother John, there must have been a tremendous, tremendous sense of perhaps relief uh, but also likely excitement and anticipation for what would come the next day. What they had seen that day was amazing. Simon himself, his own mother-in-law, being instantly and thoroughly, completely uh, healed of a fever. And so the question had to be going through their mind for the next day, where would things go from here? And our passage this morning picks up on the events of the next day with the action beginning uh, before the sun had even risen in the eastern sky. And as the day unfolds, we will see in Jesus' actions the principles and priorities upon which his kingdom rule would move forward. 
And that's what we'll be speaking about today. He demonstrates three things that not only put the previous day's events along with the people's response into perspective, but more importantly, uh, they serve to shape our perspective today on what matters most if we are seeking to live for him as our king and advance his kingdom for his glory. So I agree with Dave. The song that we sang was an excellent prayer to prepare for this time. Um, But I also just would like to offer a a brief prayer right now, if you would join me, uh, for our time in the Lord's Word. So let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, in line with the song that we sang earlier as a prayer to you, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you have for us in your Word this morning. We pray that you would grant that the, the greatest needs of our hearts this morning would be met that we would see King Jesus clearly, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So what are the principles and priorities demonstrated in Jesus' actions upon which his kingdom rule would move forward? And the first one is this, that in Jesus' actions, we see the priority of personal prayer. The priority of personal prayer. If you look at verse 35, As things pick up, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Again, after a busy and apparently successful day of ministry that went late into the previous evening, in fact, the language says that the people just kept coming. They kept coming. We now find Jesus rising quite early, while it was still dark, And quietly leaving the house of Simon where he was staying. He navigates his way to the edge of Capernaum, perhaps recalling the events and the faces of the previous day. And beginning to leave the houses and, um, you know, the smells, if you will, of, of the day coming to life again. He finds himself alone in a solitary place. Now, Jesus um, wasn't on a a mission to get his steps in, if you will. I don't think he left the edge of town with, you know, checking his pulse, synchronizing his GPS, that kind of thing. Um, Nor was he uh, uh, just going out to uh, simply have a break from the pressures of the day prior to center himself or whatever for what was to come. He had a much more uh, different and, and vital agenda for his solitary uh, journey that morning. The Son of God intentionally sought out solitude for the purpose of spending time with his Father in prayer. Before Jesus did anything more that day, he was committed to pray, and it's interesting that he went out to do this alone. Now perhaps some of us are asking, why would Jesus need to do this? What reason would there be for Jesus, right? God in the flesh to make this effort to pray. What genuine need could he have? What resource could he lack? There's some several thoughts just to offer here. First, could it be that in questions like this, we reveal an understanding and perspective on prayer that is limited or incomplete? Even if this question didn't enter your mind, it is vital to see that prayer is far more multifaceted than simply presenting our needs and concerns to him. That prayer is a means of communion 
with God. Perhaps even the most relational spiritual practice we can engage in. Because in prayer, we come to our Father in heaven who loves us and whose greatest commandment for us is that we love Him. Prayer is the means whereby we express our hearts to Him and realign our inner world around His Word and toward His throne. We can and we should bring the needs of our lives and those that we know and love as we've done this morning to Him in prayer. But prayer has far more significant and rich dynamics that each of us can experience. Secondly, It's important also to remember and keep in mind that as the God-man, Jesus did live his life on earth in submission to and dependence upon his Father. That the power exhibited in Jesus' ministry, the healings, uh, the driving out of demons, and, and other miraculous signs flowed from his posture of dependence upon the Father as seen in his commitment and his priority to prayer. This One verse about Jesus going off alone to pray speaks volumes in offering perspective on the events that had just happened the day prior. The king, who was bringing the kingdom of God near, did so with a dependence on his father as demonstrated in the priority he gave to times of personal, private prayer with him. And so thirdly, Jesus' commitment to time spent privately in prayer only emphasizes our need to follow him in this regard. Because though he shared with us in our weakness and frailty and our common humanity, Jesus did not similarly share in our experience of and bondage to sin. And so if he lived in dependence upon the Father and in so doing made a priority of private and personal prayer, how much more should we? If the king himself demonstrated that his own prayer life was essential to the building of his kingdom, dare we conclude that we have a better way or that we can leave it off? So individually and as a church, if we love Jesus and desire to see his kingdom come, if we want to see God glorified in our lives and in this ministry for it to be used to bring people to our king, like Jesus, we must pray before we do anything else. We must pray before we act. And don't necessarily get caught up with it being early in the morning either, other than if that's the only time you can get alone with God and pray do it. <laughs> there have been seasons in my life when early in the morning was best, was the best option, and other times when an alternative was better. The essential thing is that you find a time that works for you to give focus time to pray. And while there are opportunities to pray together with each other, some of which are early in the morning, right? some are in life groups or monthly prayer meetings, all of which are essential, indispensable, but it is also vital that each of us come into his presence regularly on our own. Notice Jesus didn't rouse all the disciples that morning. He went away on his own with a priority on private prayer. So whether it is early in the morning or late at night or on a walk 
or seated at the table or during a commute to work, may each of us find that time to spend in prayer with our Heavenly Father, to make it a priority as Jesus did. So we see the priority in Jesus' actions, that it demonstrated the priority on prayer, but we also see the priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom. The priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom. Look at verse 36, if you will. It says that as Jesus went off, that Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. In these verses, we see Simon leading a search party for Jesus when he does not find him where he expects him to be in the morning in his house. And there is a bit of implicit tension in the language used here where it literally could be taken, they were hunting Jesus down. The scene has something of the feeling of a put-out mom or dad trying to find a wayward child at the play park. Where have you been? And it's interesting to note what could be taken as a soft rebuke of Jesus by Peter and his companions. Everyone is looking for you. And we can deduce <clears throat> that the crowds had returned looking for a repeat of the miraculous that they had benefited from through Jesus the day before. And they were at Simon's house looking for Jesus, looking for healing. And from Simon's perspective, this is not where Jesus was meant to be. How do you build God's kingdom out here all by yourself? The action is back in Capernaum, and there are important things that need getting done. We need to build on yesterday's success and momentum, and there's something of an implied criticism of Jesus in his words. But in Jesus' response to Peter and his companions, a different perspective emerges that also constitutes something of a soft rebuke and reply. Because Jesus' assessment of the situation was, per, was different, perhaps even as a result of the time spent in prayer with his heavenly Father. For where they saw success and a clear signal to re-engage that day, Jesus was dismissive and wanting to move on. Look at Jesus' response in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Clearly, each, Simon and Jesus, were operating according to a different set of priorities. Jesus was not in search of a fan base or a following as we understand it today from like a social media perspective. He and Simon evidently didn't share the same definition of success at that moment, for Jesus clearly put a priority on preaching over a continuation of the healing and the driving out of demons from the day before. And we know from earlier in chapter 1 in verse 15, the content of Jesus' message of that time, of Jesus preaching. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent. And believe the good news. And in that message, we are given insight into the response from people that Jesus seeks and the reason why he prioritizes preaching. The desired response to the announcement of the arrival of God's rule is simply to bow one's knee to Jesus as its king. 
the healings and driving out of impure spirits display Jesus' authority as king and the nature of his kingdom, but in themselves are not the primary reason for which he came, nor the primary basis for which people should come to him. The preaching of the kingdom was primary, and the miracles were secondary. A support to the main goal of eliciting that response of repentance and belief. And evidently, Jesus discerned that Capernaum's response warranted moving elsewhere. That priority might be given to the preaching of the good news of God's kingdom coming near and giving more, more people opportunity to respond. And some things for us to consider on this. First, wouldn't it be absolutely tragic to find ourselves individually or collectively as a church in the position of Peter and his companions to discover that the priorities of Jesus and how he defines success differ from our own? I can uh, remember early days of, of ministry learning some uh, axioms from ministry mentors. And the first one was this, Steve. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And secondly, what people are one with is what they are one to. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing, and what people are one with is what they are one to. Now, the miracles of Jesus, while not the main thing, were nonetheless very important. Why? That they pointed people to him and revealed the nature of life in his kingdom. They were something of a signpost, a, a sample, a, a foretaste. And at King's Church, we need to remember that the main thing is to introduce people to King Jesus and invite them to repent and to submit themselves to his rule. We can never, ever lose sight of that. But there is the potential, if we are not vigilant, that even legitimate expressions of his kingdom rule, like Jesus' miracles, can displace and distract from that main thing. And we can never lose sight of the gospel and the priority Jesus placed on his proclamation. So secondly, though, it would be similarly tragic to be in the position of those in Capernaum. To encounter Jesus but miss entering his kingdom by focusing on the wrong thing about him. How terribly sad it would be to look to Jesus and come after him as a means to your own ends rather than the one who is worthy of your faith and of your allegiance. In his commentary on, on Mark, James Edward makes the point that seeking for Jesus, as the crowds of Capernaum had done, is not always a positive dynamic in Mark's gospel. It is frequently associated with intentions to co-op or control Jesus rather than faith or submission to his rule. The enthusiasm of the crowds with Jesus' ministry was not to be confused with faith. In fact, it was their enthusiasm over how they could gain from Jesus that kept them blind to what they really needed from him. What Jesus came preaching was his offer of amnesty to each of us for the rebellion of our sin. And with that, the, prom the promise of restoration to him and life in his kingdom. This is why he had come. And why in these verses we see the priority Jesus gave to preaching the good news of the kingdom. 
Where Simon and his companions saw success, Jesus saw it differently. He operated according to a different set of priorities. The priority of his personal prayer life and the priority of the the gospel of the kingdom being preached. And then finally, in connection with all these, we see in Jesus' actions demonstrated the priority of sinners being cleansed. Look at verse 40. Chris did such a great job earlier with the children before they uh, left to their groups with this about the man with leprosy. In verse 40 it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, there are things about this particular episode in these verses that could almost seem out of place in light of what we've just considered to this point. I mean, didn't Jesus just say, let's go elsewhere, so there's not a focus on healing? He had just emphasized the priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom, even moving away from Capernaum, where seeking healings had taken precedence with the crowds. And we jump from that right into what seems to be another healing. But there are things about this healing in general as well as specifically that are worth taking into account in order that we handle this part well. First, taken generally, Jesus' emphasis uh, and priority on preaching the good news did not mean he was devoid of compassion, like a man set on a mission and just get out of his way. Far from it. In fact, Jesus had a very strong reaction to the plight of this man who had suffered physically and emotionally due to his leprosy. The indignation in some versions of Scripture, even a previous translation of the one we used here, says he was moved with compassion. But there's this angst and anger, in a sense, over what has been this man's state. He was deeply moved, and he reached out to touch him and heal him. Now, apart from the miraculous element, much of which is uh, happening here is remarkable if we fully consider it. Leprosy could cover a number of different skin conditions in the Bible, infectious, contagious skin diseases. And we may not have a precise diagnosis of this man's specific condition, but we can know his day-to-day existence was one of isolation and humiliation. As Chris mentioned uh, from the book of Leviticus, lepers were required to maintain this disheveled appearance to loudly announce their presence as unclean. Imagine having to do that your whole life. And to distance themselves from others 50 paces or more, depending on the conditions, so as not to contaminate anyone else. And so Jesus was not only moved in his own thoughts and emotions, but he did the unthinkable in that culture by not only moving physically towards this man, but actually touching him. Can you imagine the impact on this man experiencing human touch after the life he lived with leprosy? in a beautiful and compelling picture of Jesus' divinity and his humanity, divine power and human touch. 
Jesus was moved with compassion. But specifically, so in general, it didn't, it didn't make him devoid of compassion, but specifically this particular healing also serves to make a statement about Jesus' priorities and why he had come. Notice what happens after the healing. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell any, this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In the Old Testament, leprosy was often connected with God's judgment and its removal only possible through the will and the power of God. In the same commentary that I mentioned earlier, it was noted that rabbis referred to lepers as the living dead whose cure was as difficult as raising the dead. So it was more than a sickness in that it had not only physical but social and spiritual implications. As this writer expressed it, other illnesses needed to be healed, but leprosy had to be cleansed. Earlier, I referred to this man's healing, which did occur. But did you also notice more of the emphasis on cleansing? Verse 40, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verses 41 and 42, I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Verse 44, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Forbidding, forbidding this man to tell anyone about what had happened, but only to go to the priest and offer the appropriate sacrifices as a testimony may appear odd to us. Why would Jesus do this? It was likely intended to control the narrative and avoid false conclusions regarding his rule as Messiah and why he had come. However, the priest of which Jesus spoke would have known that this man's physical contact with any other human being as a leper would have contaminated that individual, making them unclean. Jesus is not just another human being. He has the power, and he is willing that those who come to him can be made clean. So while leprosy was often a judgment for sin, as Chris stated earlier, the condition was also a vivid picture of the nature and the impact of sin in our lives. Because leprosy, or what was considered leprosy, was not just an infection on the surface of the skin, but penetrated underneath, spreading over the entire body, bringing decay, disfigurement, and death. Now, we don't know if this man eventually went to present himself to the priest and offer the sacrifice prescribed by Moses. But had he done so, it would have been a powerful picture of Jesus' priority of sinners being cleansed. Because what would have happened is two birds would have been presented to the priest. One bird's life would have been taken in sacrifice. And the remaining bird would be dipped in the blood of the first bird. And then the person who was cleansed would have taken it and set it free. This leper was trapped and hopeless. His entire existence defined by a condition over which he was powerless to free himself. 
And unless you and I see in his physical condition a picture of our spiritual condition apart from Jesus, you will never feel the need to look to him as the only one who can cleanse you and set you free. You will remain trapped and hopeless, defined by a condition from which you are powerless to free him yourself. But Jesus can cleanse you and has demonstrated that he is willing He did this not through the shed blood of birds or bulls or any other creature, but by his own blood shed on the cross of Calvary. And when you respond in repentance and belief, when you bow your knee to the king, what that shed blood accomplished is applied to you, and you are forgiven and free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. The kingdom of God that Jesus brought near comes in the hearts and lives of any and all who will receive him in this way. And so the question is, how will you respond? Perhaps you're curious, uh, intrigued, but unconvinced at this point. Why not explore the life and claims of Jesus further? As was mentioned, we prayed for the last two Thursday evenings. A group has been meeting here at the center for something called Hope Explored, an engaging exploration and discussion about the hope that's found uh, in Jesus. We also offer something similar throughout the year called Christianity Explored, and we would love uh, to connect with you on something like that uh, or simply just over a, a cup of coffee, a conversation. And you can find help in making that connection uh, by chatting with someone at the FYI as as you leave or finding a member of the ministry team. Um, We'd love to carry on that conversation with you. Or maybe this morning you know that you need to repent and to believe and to come to Jesus as your king. Either way, would you come and we would love to have that conversation with you. I know, though, that many in this room will have already responded to Jesus in repentance and faith, choosing to follow him. But along the way, it can happen that we find ourselves entangled and entrapped in sin. Part of his kingdom, but not walking in freedom with our king. We find ourselves in places we never planned on and engaged in things we would have never imagined. And if that is you... No matter the sin, no matter how deep you find yourself, no matter how unworthy you feel or how much you fear exposure, remember that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin as we walk in his light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' priority is to make sinners clean. And he is a good and gracious king who is willing to make you clean if you are willing to confess it to him. The kingdom of God has come near. And in his actions in our passage today, King Jesus has demonstrated those principles, those three priorities upon which his kingdom rule would move forward. He demonstrated that priority of personal prayer. He demonstrated the priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus demonstrated that priority of sinners being made clean by him. These upside-down priorities of Jesus are part of what turned the world upside down at that time as the kingdom of God advanced. And may they do the same in our lives and in our world today.
for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the kingdom of God has come near with the coming of your Son. And we thank you that sinners like us, all in the same boat, can be a part of it by how we respond to what he has done for us. Lord, we know that the need of our hearts is to see Jesus for who he is and respond to him in repentance and belief. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing. You are willing for the ones who come to you in faith and in that way to be made clean and to have the promise of restoration, of amnesty, of forgiveness, of cleansing, and of life in your kingdom. Lord, would our hearts align with yours and that your priorities would be our own as individuals and as a church that we might give priority to private and personal prayer with you, that we might see that the main thing is the main thing, the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom coming near, that sinners might be made clean and find life in your kingdom for your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.